Hello, is it me you're looking for? I can see it in your eyes. I can uh, smile. <laughs> I didn't think that one through, did I? Otherwise, I would have printed up the lyrics. Hey, welcome to the Insert Clever and Witty Name Here podcast. My name is Mike. I appreciate you taking some time out with all the podcasts out there to listen to this one, especially if you're listening to this on Memorial Day Monday. I have something special for you this week, and it's not my singing. Um, with today being Memorial Day, a couple of weeks ago, I caught up with Paul Leffler. Now, if you're familiar at all with Fresno Area Radio, you have heard the name Paul Leffler. If you're not familiar with the name, I know you know the voice, especially if you listen to any Fresno State athletics on the radio. He's synonymous with Fresno State athletics. And if it doesn't sound familiar in that capacity, Paul Leffler's name, then I'm certain it does if you know anything about Central Valley Honor Flight. He's one of the founders. He is always there for the send-off and the welcome home ceremony, which is moving uh, like you wouldn't believe. And I would invite you to check out uh, cvhonorflight.org for all the details on the next flight um, once they're able to get it cleared, that is, with COVID-19 restrictions limiting those flights right now. And we'll find out more from Paul about that. But when they do resume those flights again, if you can be there at Fresno Yosemite International Airport when that flight returns, it's, um, it's moving uh, like you wouldn't believe. So again... That uh, surprise coming up is not an encore of mine. It will be our conversation with Paul Leffer. I had that conversation a few weeks back. Uh, and it's a 30-minute conversation, which I played portions of it this morning on Memorial Day with my mornings with Mike Pesto on the new My 97.5. I hope you had a chance to hear those specific stories about veterans who have made the flight from Kings and Tulare counties here in the South Valley, California. But again, if you missed that, that's fine. The entire conversation is coming up. But today is also the unofficial kickoff of summer. And a few weeks ago, or actually I believe it was last week, there was Sunscreen Appreciation Day or something about sunscreen. And over the course of kind of prepping for that, I came across this from the National Foundation for Cancer Research, nine must-know facts about sunscreen. And I think it's a rule, whenever you do a top... 10 list, or in this case, a top nine list. You have to start at the bottom and work your way up. So uh, fact number nine on this list, sunscreen is safe to use. Now, you may think that's a no-brainer, but uh, I read on. It said, some recent news stories have called into question the safety of the ingredients used in sunscreens. But sunscreen remains completely safe to use and is uh, recommended by all healthcare professionals. I'll say the same thing about sunscreens that I have said previously on this podcast about getting vaccinated. Don't believe anything I have to tell you. Certainly don't believe anything you see on Facebook, especially if it's just a clever meme that makes you laugh. It's like, ooh, I laughed at that, so it must be true. No, that's not the criteria. What you want to do is if you have a primary care physician or a doctor that you have trusted for years, family doctor, a friend who's in the medical field, your kid's pediatrician, ask them. Ask them about vaccines. Ask them about sunscreen. Maybe there's one that they'll recommend. Maybe there's some that they think you should stay away from. Uh, I'll mention SPFs here a little bit later on with this list, but if you have heard some stories about sunscreens and the modern-day ingredients being unsafe, just check with a doctor you know and trust and, and, 
and get to the bottom of it. Number eight, spray-on sunscreens are convenient but not always effective. That I had not heard before, but it made sense when I thought about it. And according to the description, the AAD, and I believe that stands for the American Association of Dermatologists, and I'll go with it. If I'm wrong, please correct me in the comments, or you can email me anytime with anything with any of these podcasts, pesto, P-E-S-T-O, at my975fm.com, or Mike Pesto, so just pesto with the mic on it, at me.com. Either one will work. So the AAD explains that current FDA regulations on testing and standardization do not apply to sunscreen, to, to spray-on sunscreens. Individuals who want to use spray-on sunscreens should make sure to use adequate amount, rubbing it thoroughly to cover all areas of exposed skin. So you put it that way, it does make sense. It's better than nothing, but if you've got some time, the lotion is better. Uh, which gets us to number seven. Sunscreen expires. I didn't know that either. According to the AAD and the FDA, they require all sunscreens to retain their original strength for at least three years. So as long as what you have is less than three years old, you should be okay. Fact number six, use the teaspoon and shot glass rule. I've never heard this, but okay. Uh, Many people do not apply enough sunscreen that I have heard. Use a teaspoon amount for your face and enough to fill up a shot glass for the rest of your body. That's a lot of sunscreen. But, again, it's it, it, better play it safe than sorry. Uh, fact number five, sunscreen is uh, only one tool in your UV safety toolbox. There are many ways to resu- reduce your exposure to UV radiation. Experts recommend combining sunscreen with the use of wearing protective clothing. A lot of clothing that you'll see now has a UV rating on it. Now, hats in particular, sometimes even shirts as well, especially the ones that are designed to be worn on hotter days that breathe better. So if you have not heard that, look at some newer clothing. Maybe if you're going to be spending uh, now with Disneyland and California Adventure open and going to Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk or spending some time in Pismo, pick up some newer clothing that has some of that UV protection built into it and check and see what it says as far as how much protection it actually gives you. Fact number four, children under six months typically should not wear sunscreen. That I had not heard. Infant skin is more sensitive than adult skin. To protect infants younger younger than six months, the AAD recommends keeping them in the shade as much as possible, dressing them in protective clothing, such as long-sleeved shirts, pants, and wide-brim hats. So that is something that is important to know, again, as we're kind of unofficially kicking off summer. Fact number three, no sunscreen is waterproof or or sweatproof. Again, something else I didn't know. Manufacturers can no longer advertise sunscreens as waterproof or sweatproof. I'm guessing then if you have a sunscreen that does advertise itself as waterproof or or waterproof or sweatproof on the bottle itself, I'm guessing that's probably a bottle older than three years. (laughs) So you may want to toss that one. Uh, there is something that's on bottles that now say water-resistant or very water-resistant. They're saying water-resistant, that's effective up to 40 minutes in water. Very water-resistant is effective up to 80 minutes in water. Anything more than that, reapply. Uh, Fact number two, aim for a sunscreen with at least 30 SPF. Um, 
goes on to say that sunscreens with SPF of at least 30 block 97% of sun's rays. Now, and this is something you may want to check with your doctor. Something else that I have heard is anything over 30, you're just paying for something that you really don't need. You'll see some that are 35, 45, 60. Check with your doctor on that, though, because they don't mention anything about that on this particular list. And again, this list comes from the National Foundation for Cancer Research. So it sounds fairly official. There's nothing on here, as we'll get to number one in just a second, that says anything about anything over a certain amount is overkill and you're paying for something that really doesn't help you any more than the SPF 30. All it does say, once again, is that make sure it is at least SPF 30. And then fact number one, broad spectrum sunscreens are the best. Again, it's a term I've never heard. This is UV radiation from the sun includes two types of harmful rays, ultraviolet A and ultraviolet B. Overexposure to both types of rays can cause skin cancer. Sunscreens labeled as broad spectrum help protect against the effect of both UVA and UVB rays. So important to know. Uh, and again, if you want to check that out, you can do a Google or Yahoo search in National Foundation for cancer research, nine must-know facts about sunscreen, if you want to check that out. Obviously, one thing that is going to be true with us spending more time outside is we'll be spending more time in the great outdoors, potentially, if that is something that is uh, of interest to you. So I came across this, <laughs> which I got a chuckle out of, but I had some fun with this on the air last week. Americans' newfound appreciation for the great outdoors. The average American thinks, I love that word, thinks they can survive for 16 days alone in the wilderness. Um, I don't know why that is specifically. It doesn't get into the, the facts behind that, but I'm guessing that it may have something to do with Discovery Channel and shows like Dual Survivor. And for people who watch marathons of that thinking, oh, I could do that. If I, if I get lost up in Kings Canyon National Park or Sequoia National Park, I absolutely, I, I'm seeing what they're doing. Uh, <laughs> you pair that with this, according to that same uh, survey, the same research they did, only 17% of those surveyed felt very confident in their ability to start a fire with Flint. First of all, would you even have Flint with you? Or would you have to do what they do on Dual Survivor and actually have to try to create a fire using friction and the other tricks that they use on that show? I, I There's no way I could do it. Even with Flint, I don't feel confident about it. The other thing that they mentioned with this, 14% felt that they could identify edible plants and berries as opposed to eating bad ones. You know, like you see a mushroom on the ground. Think, ooh, that's a mushroom I can eat. Ooh, no, <laughs> that's not. Uh, that's not the way to go. So, um, before you watch shows like Dual Survivor and think, yeah, I got this, you, you may want to think twice about it. Uh, and one last thing I want to hit on uh, before we get to again the bulk of our conversation with Paul Leffler with Central Valley Honor Flight. This is obviously grilling season. A lot more grilling would be taking place outside. Do you have any idea, just off the top of your head, what state thinks 
they are best known for the burgers. Believe it or not, there's nobody that you'll guess this. What state believes that they're known best for the burgers? 83% of Alaskans, apparently, believe, yes, that Alaska is best known for their burgers. No, you're known for igloos, snow, and caribou. Uh, and maybe some of the survival shows <laughs> that I mentioned earlier. Illinois came in at number two on the list, followed by New York, Texas, and Georgia. I know you're curious. So California is on the list in the top 10 uh, at, numbers, uh, at number nine with 65%. Uh, what else came out with this was what is the perfect burger as far as Americans are concerned? Well, first of all, it is a burger, meaning it's a beef patty. I know Impossible Burgers are really popular right now, especially with, well, every fast food chain doing them, most notably probably Burger King, which is a bit ironic if you think about it. But no, it hasn't quite taken a stronghold yet. Not plant-based yet, but beef patty has to be, as far as most Americans are concerned. The bun has to be a sesame seed bun. When you start talking about toppings, well, has to have cheese. Preferably American. See, that's where it differs from my personal feeling. And for me, I always like having a Swiss burger instead, but eh, nothing wrong with American. Also has to have bacon and lettuce. As far as toppings, that's it. All bases covered. Um, lastly, what type of condiments are we talking about? This is one where it differs from what I think, but again, this is just what most Americans say. Condiments has to include ketchup, and mayonnaise. Oh, yeah, by the way, also has to have French fries, ideally cut into potato wedges. <laughs> I don't know why they got that specific with it, but if you plan on doing any barbecuing on the grill, that is what it comes down to. All right, so that gets you set as far as this being the unofficial kickoff to summer and barbecue season and everything else. So protect yourself with sunscreen Make sure if you enjoy the great outdoors, bring a compass and some flint with you just in case you feel like <laughs> getting lost. Uh, and now you know how to grill up the per perfect burger. Although it didn't mention on that list, I was a little surprised uh, how your perfect burger is done. Is it medium? Is it well? Is it medium rare? Uh, I, I always go for medium rare on basically anything that I cook on the grill and burgers would be the same. So with all of that aside, I want to spend the rest of our time with that conversation I had with Paul Leffler. Uh, this was, again, from a few weeks or so ago. And I started off the conversation with him recounting something that happened when I lived in Peoria, Illinois. This was 10-plus years or so ago. And I won't mention the advertiser, but it's, um, it's something that I heard while listening to the radio, and I remember distinctly, this was on Memorial Day. I was in my backyard mowing the lawn, and I had my my earphones in. I was listening to, I believe, 104.9 The Wolf, the station I worked at at the time, on my iPhone, and a commercial came on. And it was what was in that commercial that grabbed my attention and not exactly in a positive way. I lived for a while in Peoria, Illinois, middle of the state. 
uh, an area not unlike where we live here in the South Valley, surrounded by agriculture, cornfields there. And I was in my backyard mowing my lawn, this is years back, on Memorial Day, and a commercial comes over the radio, it's Memorial Day, and you know what that means, I could tell by the tone of the announcer's voice, it's not going where I think it should go, but I keep listening, and sure enough, it goes there. Memorial Day means barbecue, and patio parties, and pool parties, and the official kickoff of summer, and not one mention of what Memorial Day really is. Remembering those who made the ultimate sacrifice for our country. And there's an organization here based in Fresno, but serving the entire Central Valley, South Valley included, that does their darndest to make sure we don't forget those who made that ultimate sacrifice by getting our veterans to Washington, D.C. to see the monuments constructed in their honor. And that is Central Valley Honor Flight. We are privileged this morning to have with us over the phone Paul Leffler, who we've had on years ago, who was so intimately attached to Central Valley Honor Flight. Paul, thank you for the time this morning. Hey, honored to join you, Mike, and, and thank you for taking some time to recognize what Memorial Day really means. You know, I think we've all heard it said that some gave all and all gave some when it comes to our veterans. And the all who gave some are all of our veterans, the people that we take to Washington, D.C., and when they get there, they recognize those who gave all. In World War II, that's over 400,000 Americans who died while winning that war. In the Korean War, more than 50,000. And there are thousands who are still there in Korea who have never, their remains have never made it home. And then in Vietnam, of course, we know there are 58,000 names on that wall. That's such a, an incredible experience to be there and to touch and to feel. And so, you know, the privilege of taking our veterans there to really make Memorial Day every day in their hearts um, that's something that's changed a lot of lives in the Valley. It's, it's also shown us what we can do when we all work together behind a, a united goal. How long have you been associated with Central Valley Honor Flight? Well, since we started it, we started it in 2013. It was you know, something that had begun a few years before that in other parts of the country. It all started with one man taking one veteran because the World War II Memorial wasn't built till 2004. 60 years after the war. And a lot of people don't understand that story or don't know the history that it was really World War II veterans themselves who got that built, who raised almost $200 million to erect that memorial on the National Mall. And by the time it was finished, most of them were kind of not in the kind of shape to go there on their own. So one physician's assistant at a VA medical center in Ohio, a guy named Earl Morse, said to one of his patients, hey, are you going to go see that? He said, oh, I'm too old. I can't do that. He said, well, I've got an airplane. What if I fly you? And he flew that one veteran. And from that idea sprang this national network. And here in the Central Valley, we were blessed to have all the pieces come together in 2013 to get off the ground. And it really is, I think, a testament, Mike, to the spirit of the people in this valley, because it's all volunteers. It's all donations. And now since 2013, we've been able to take 20 full charter flights of veterans, over 1,300 veterans, to their memorials for free because the people of this valley are so generous. And unfortunately, in the pandemic, we have not been allowed to fly. The current moratorium from our national organization runs through the middle of August. We're hopeful that as soon as that expires, we're going to be able to take another plane load of veterans this fall so they can have that experience they've been waiting for. I told the story 
moment ago about having lived in central Illinois and Peoria and a, a different take on Memorial there, obviously, at the time. When I moved here to the South Valley, Tulare County, Visalia, uh, nearly 10 years ago, that's one of the first things that I noticed. And I was told early on, you know, there's a, a sense of pride in service here, and you'll see on the light posts the, the signs of those who served and those who didn't make it back. And I, I heard that, and I thought, okay, yeah, I've, I've heard that everywhere that I've lived. But it is different here. And I can tell you that from the perspective of someone who's lived in San Francisco and a couple of different places in Illinois and Las Vegas. And there's always that sense of honoring those, but it goes above and beyond here in the Central and South Valley. It really does. And I think part of that is we have a greater population of veterans than just about any area anywhere. And you think about how diverse our veteran population is. And that's what, you know, Central Valley Honor Flight has done so many things. And the people who've made it possible have made such a difference. But what I get every single time, Mike, I never get tired of this. I literally have gotten goosebumps every single time we've brought in a plane load of these, uh, we've brought a plane load of these veterans back to the Valley. If you're at the Fresno airport, and you look around the room, it's standing room only. You see people literally zero to 100 from every tax bracket, every political ideology, every religious background, every ethnic background, male, female, you know, everything that you could say is a point of differentiation. All the things that maybe some elements of our society try to use as dividing points. In this case, all those people, that diverse array of humanity is all in agreement that our veterans deserve gratitude for what they did for us. So it's, it's one of the most uniting things I've ever seen. And it's emotional when you see the, the 95 year old Marine rolling through in his wheelchair, getting, you know, just welcomed with this huge roar of applause while the Marine Corps hymn is played by the Clovis community band. And there's high school cheerleaders waving their pom-poms and cheering. And there are veterans standing at attention and it's red, white, and blue everywhere. And you see that little tear streaming down his cheek, you realize he's finally receiving that gratitude that he probably didn't feel when he came home from the war 75 years ago. And it's, it's, uh, it's impactful on so many levels for the veterans, for their families, but also for our future leaders who are there watching, the young people in the crowd who are getting this understanding, you know, freedom is not free. These are the people who paid for it. They deserve our gratitude. And by giving them a chance, to go honor those who didn't come home, who haven't had the lives that they've been able to lead, who haven't impacted our communities the way they did, but would have if they'd had that chance. It's a really powerful, powerful thing. I know with as long as you've been associated with Central Valley Honor Flight and having um, distinct knowledge of those specifically here in the South Valley, Kings and Tulare counties who have taken that flight, is there a story that sticks out to you of uh, a veteran in particular that maybe took the flight recently or just one that really just every time you think about that memory, it just wells you up again? Oh, man, Mike, there are so many. Um, and I, you know, yeah, Tulare and Kings County, I've had the privilege of interviewing a lot of those veterans for, for the show that I do, Hometown Heroes. And even when we started Honor Flight, you know, it was we weren't sure how big this thing was going to do or it was going to be where kind of a ragtag group of volunteers. One of the first fundraisers we did was at West Hills College in the Moor in that Golden Eagle Arena. And we showed the Honor Flight documentary that said, this is what's happening in other parts of our country. And we'd like to do it here, not just in Kings County, but throughout the Valley. 
And we had some World War II veterans there watching that, getting a taste for what they were going to experience. Mm. And I'm so thankful that they got to do it before they passed. And, and that happens so frequently where we'll, you know, we'll be able to give this veteran this experience. And it's not too long after that that they finish their journey here. And this honor flight becomes a defining experience for them. But yeah, I mean, I can think of Visalia, Tulare, Porterville, Hanford, Lemoore, some veterans in those places that I've interviewed. I think of Judge Del Rey, and maybe there's some of your listeners who sat in his courtroom at one point or another in Tulare County. Here's a guy who is shot down as an airman in World War II, ends up a prisoner of war. A Nazi doctor actually helped save his life when he had a broken bone. The doctor purposely set it crooked. So we would remain hospitalized longer and not have to go back to the general prison camp population where he wouldn't be cared for as well and, and maybe would have you know gone through more malnutrition, might not have made it. He, he purposely miscasts that limb so he could live. And, you know, here the guy comes back and becomes, you know, really a pillar of society in Tulare County. And when he got to go on that flight, he had the time of his life. I mean, he was just laughing and, and smiling and embracing every moment with his fellow veterans. And that's one of the things that, that makes Honor Flight special. You know, for each veteran to go to those memorials, it's emotional. You could do that on your own and be there with your family. But when you share this experience with your fellow veterans, uh, it, it gives you the chance to experience those emotions. You don't have to hold it in because you have other guys there with you who you know went through the same things. Um, I, I think of, of Bud Erickson from there in Visalia. You know, he was a Marine. One of the things that he did in the Pacific was he interfaced with the Navajo code talkers. And you talk about an incredible, miraculous development in World War II, the fact that this native language really was an unbreakable code that the Japanese could not crack that allowed communication and, and messaging to get through in a way that helped America win the war in the Pacific. And, and Bud had a front row seat for all of that. And I know some of your, your folks in Visalia remember him. Another guy there is, you know, Steve Marusich. What a story he had. And maybe some folks played golf with him at Visalia Country Club. I think there's a club champion there. But he survived the sinking of, you know, the last aircraft carrier that was sunk in World War II was off of Iwo Jima. It was the USS Bismarck Sea. And, and he was burned pretty severely in that situation and had to float for hours in the water. But he made it out of that. He made it out alive, came back to the valley, was a school administrator, and uh, again, someone who helped really construct the fabric of our communities here in the valley. There's a gentleman who's still there in Visalia right now, just celebrated his 97th birthday a few weeks ago, Vito Mastrangelo. And his job on D-Day and the days that followed and the months that followed in Europe was to bury the dead. He worked in graves registration. He, he really established some of those American cemeteries in Europe that when, you, when people go back and visit today and they see the price of freedom laid out in front of them in those white crosses, uh, that was the work, just imagine the emotionally taxing work that Vito Mastrangelo had to do that he's carried with him since then and that uh, he talks about so the rest of us can understand. You know, These were guys just like him who sacrificed their lives so we could be free. I mean, you want to talk about a Memorial Day story. There it is right there. I can't imagine there's anyone in Visalia that knows the power, the, the value, and ultimately the, the price of freedom that was paid, especially in World War II, like Vito Mastrangelo does. And I'll give you one more. And, and this is a guy who's near and dear to my heart. 
I've actually only been, Mike, on, on one of our honor flights. We've had 20 of them. I founded Honor Flight in 2013 with a couple other folks, and, and I've been involved, and I, I run the send-off and the welcome home every time, but I've only actually gone on the flight once, and I got to go with a guy named Norris Jernigan, and he's in, been in Visalia for decades. In World War II, he was part of a, a top-secret endeavor uh, that nobody knew really what it was until it was deployed, and that was the atomic bomb. When, when the Enola Gay dropped it on Hiroshima in August of 1945, Norris was the intelligence officer for that squadron, for the 509th Composite Wing, and, and knew the man who flew that plane, Paul Tibbetts, and that entire crew. And he's one of the last guys alive who can tell you details of that story. And think about that, how sobering a duty that was, what, the, what kind of perspective that gives you when there's a devastating weapon that, that cost lots of lives, but that ultimately, in his view, and I think the view of most historians, ends up saving a lot of lives by bringing the war to a quicker end. And he is so gracious to tell that story anywhere he goes on that honor flight to watch him interacting with the people there in D.C. who recognize, hey, this guy is a part, he's a living piece of history that I owe some respect to and, and have them come up to him and see the way he embraced them. And I had a chance to bring him uh, to my girls' school this last year and, and speak. I have a veteran every year that speaks on Veterans Day and, and seeing him engage with those young people and passing on the history that he lived and seeing the light go on for young people when they understand it in a whole new way. All of these things are some of the ripple effects of what happens, Mike, when we take the time, when we take the time to say to a veteran, hey, I know you did something that matters. I want to say thank you. And you know what? If you're willing to share... I'm willing to sit here and listen because I know there's something that can be gained from from my understanding the real price of freedom. That's an interesting aspect of it that you bring up. And I know we've talked about it before that a lot of times, especially when you're talking years and years and years that these veterans have been removed from their service. And a lot of times they didn't want to talk about it then. They don't want to talk about it now. And then they go on that flight and things that they thought they had buried and would never see the light of day again come up. And I would imagine quite a few are, are moved to tears, if not every single one of them, when they see that monument. And then when they come home and they see family and friends almost through new eyes and then wanting to share those experiences because now they are ready to talk about them, that has to be incredibly impactful, especially on that flight home. It is. And, you know, one of the things that happens on that flight home is mail call. And for all these men and women, and, and boy, have we been blessed to have some remarkable women on these flights. Uh, they receive mail call, just like they did in the service. You know, in the old days, before we had all the technology, they would be waiting. And, and sometimes as troops are moved, I mean, it would take months for a letter to catch up to you and imagine what it meant when you're out there risking your life every day to have that little connection to back home. So mail call has a sentimental value for them. But in this case, they're coming home. They've had this emotionally, you know, exhausting experience of thinking about their friends who passed, thinking about how close they came to paying that ultimate price. And now they're flying home. They're emotionally spent. And then mail call, and all of a sudden they're bombarded with, with bags full of letters and cards and family members expressing their true feelings about who they are and what they've done for us. And also, you know, we have school children who write letters to these veterans. You know, here's 
a five, six, seven year old thanking you for something that you probably think they didn't even know I did this. And imagine what that means to an aging veteran. So yeah, there's not a dry eye on the plane at that point. And then they land and then they, they march through all those active duty sailors from NAS Lemoore who have come each and every time recognizing those who went before and saying, we want you to know we're carrying on what you started and we respect what you did. And they stand at attention as these vets pass through and then the doors open, the bagpipes are playing. And as soon as they walk through the doors, the band is playing the song of every branch of service. And that crowd is absolutely going berserk, screaming at the top of their lungs to make sure these veterans feel the love the respect and the gratitude that we all feel for them. So it's, it's, if you've never been there, the next time we're able to have one of those homecomings, I hope you'll join us. But it is, it's folks from, from all throughout Tulare County and Kings County and all the way up to, to Stanislaus, San Joaquin County. It's bringing the entire valley together to celebrate something that we can all agree on, that those who risk their lives, who are willing to sacrifice their lives, and every one of those veterans, male, female, from all these eras, from all these branches of service, every single one of them knew they may be in that situation to lay down their life for a friend. And we know that there's no greater love in the world than the willingness to do that. So what better to celebrate, what better to honor, what better to recognize people who are willing to put the rest of us before themselves. And that's what we do with Honor Flight each and every time. Talking with Paul Leffler with Central Valley Honor Flight. And when last we spoke a year or so ago, there was the thinking that the flight that we were talking about at that point was going to be the last one. It was the last one that you knew was going to be funded. Um, and I know there's been several flights since then. What had changed at that point and what needs to change or continue to evolve to keep Central Valley Honor Flight going? That's a great question, Mike. You know, really, when we set out to do this in 2013, there was an urgency. It was, hey, here's a World War II memorial. Here's a bunch of World War II veterans who've never had the chance to go see it. If we don't raise the money and facilitate these flights, they're never going to see it. So this is a, a noble cause, and we're going to attack it. And that was our mission. And we felt like, you know, the mission had been fulfilled. We'd taken hundreds of World War II veterans. But then it's, hey, how many Korean War veterans do we have in this valley? And they haven't seen the Korean War Memorial, which is so, so powerful. And interestingly enough, a lot of the stone used in those memorials is from right here in the valley. That's where it was quarried. Uh, but those memorials are so striking. They're so haunting. They're so moving. And, you know, the Korean War, the Forgotten War, don't those guys deserve the same opportunity? What they did really was no different. They risked their lives. Maybe the result of the war leaves a different feeling in your mouth, but it doesn't change the, the devotion to country, the, the self-sacrifice represented in each one of those veterans' service. And how about the Vietnam generation? If anyone needs to have a different taste in their mouth, needs to experience the gratitude of a nation that had factions literally spitting on them when they came home 50 years ago, it's the Vietnam generation. So if we can keep it going for those generations, and this is what we heard from the people of the Valley, they say, hey, we want to honor the Korean War vets and the Vietnam vets too. Can you keep it going? And when you have a team of volunteers, that's not a given because people get worn out. You know, they're giving, giving, giving. But every time we do a flight, we have more people who want to volunteer. We have more people who want to give and support this mission. And the people have been so generous. And right there in Tulare County, you know, a very significant gift came our way a little more than a year ago when Eagle Mountain Casino out of Porterville said, 
you know what? We want to give you $200,000. That's about what one of these flights costs to put on. And we want to give you a whole flight's worth of money so you can take veterans from this valley. And if you can do that with some of our Vietnam vets here who have who have suffered so greatly over the years despite serving our country honorably, we'd love to see that happen. So that's what we're hoping to do here. We, you know, we had flights scheduled for 2020 and earlier in 2021, but the pandemic made those impossible going by our national uh, protocols. Now, as things are, are easing out, we're getting closer and closer to flying again. We have veterans on that waiting list who've been waiting, some as old as 100 years old who've now been waiting, thinking they were going to go in 2020. Mm. And here we're almost you know, halfway through 2021, and we don't know when they can go again yet. But as soon as it is safe, as soon as we're allowed, we're going to have those flights going again, and we're going to continue to, to raise those monies. We're going to get them there in as safe a manner as possible. And, you know, if people out there are moved, if you have a veteran in your life who hasn't signed up yet, you can sign them up. If you'd like to make this possible for those veterans, you can find all the information you need online at cvhonorflight.org, cv like Central Valley, honorflight.org. And you can even donate right there online. And every veteran has a sponsor as well that takes the flight with them, too. So if someone wants to go with their veteran, there is a cost to that sponsor, I believe. But that's a possibility, too, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and it's interesting, Mike. You know, we do this for the veterans. But as I said, there are so many ripple effects. And I've seen it affect the perspective of young people in our valley when they get up close and personal with these veterans. But I don't think this experience is, is any more life-changing for anyone than it is for the guardians. That's what we call them, the guardians okay. who go with a veteran. Oftentimes, that's a son or daughter, a grandson, a granddaughter, a nephew, a niece. Sometimes it's someone who's never met the veteran before. If there's not a family member that wants to go with the veteran, we have people from the community who step up, many of them veterans themselves. And they say, you know what? I want to have that privilege of escorting a veteran on this experience. If he needs a wheelchair, pushing him through that. She needs someone to hold her hand. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be that guardian for this veteran. And I think it's more impactful for them than anyone else. When you're a family member, you finally understand what your father, your grandfather, your, your mom, your grandma went through in their time in the service. You, you have some time with that relative that maybe you never would have carved out before. And I've had so many veterans come back and say, you know, I got three days with my son, uh, just the two of us with this experience on this trip. And I can't remember the last time that happened. And it, it just creates these deep connections. It creates understanding. It brings healing. And again, I think it, it shapes perspectives for the future. So we're honoring the past. We're recognizing what all of these veterans have done. But I think we're also informing the future of our valley and our country in a really powerful way. And if, if you have that inclination to sign up to be a guardian or you've got a veteran in your life and, and they're a little on the fence, and, and don't be afraid to say that. Hey, I want to go with you. So will you sign up just so I can go with you? <laughs> and uh, we've seen that happen a lot. And usually what happens, Mike, is the veteran comes back saying, I am so glad you talked me into that. Because here's one more factor, Mike, and I'm sorry if I'm rambling. No, you're good. <laughs> but these veterans in so many cases are so humble. You know, I, the, the show that I've been doing for 16 years, you know, Hometown Heroes, a lot of them bristle at that title because they don't want to be considered heroes. In their minds, the heroes are the ones we honor every Memorial Day, those who paid the ultimate price, who never got to come home. And, and they go and they honor those and they recognize them. And in the process, they get a whole new perspective about what they did and the contributions they made to the price of our freedom. 
because there is the ultimate price, those we honor on Memorial Day, but there are additional prices, and I've seen them in the form of physical wounds. You know, we've had veterans on this flight who, who lost limbs, who are still carrying shrapnel, who maybe are, are blind or almost deaf as a result of what they went through in the war, and maybe even more gripping, more compelling, more powerful are the wounds that, unless you really take the time to sit with a veteran, you're never going to see, you're never going to understand. Imagine the emotional and, and mental scars that are left by being a, a teenager in combat and watching what happens all around you and having to do things and be there. Think about Vito Mistrangelo there in Visalia, 97 years old, and what he was doing you know, 76 years ago on Omaha Beach and burying guys just like him and having to go through that gruesome duty. If you don't think that changes you and affects you and gives you a burden to carry, I mean, that is a significant burden to carry for the last 76 years. So when you get a feel for that, you realize that the price of freedom is evident, yes, on Memorial Day, but every other day as well, if you're paying close enough attention to really know what goes on in these veterans' lives. If someone is interested in being a guardian or signing up a family member who, upon hearing this, realizes, yeah, maybe that is something I want to experience, or if somebody wants to help fund another flight or two and get some other friends together and say, yeah, this is a, a an organization we want to give to, what's the first step that they would need to take? Is there the website that they should go to or a phone number they should call? The website is the best place, and, and you'll find some phone numbers there. There's a, a frequently asked questions there that will answer just about everything you need to know. You mentioned the guardians. Yes, they are asked to offset some of the cost of their flight, not all of it, but we ask for a $1,200 contribution for the guardian, which covers all the expenses, the flight, the hotels, the meals, and it's actually tax deductible. Um, so that, that's what the regulations are for the guardian. There is an age limit on that because you have to be able to, to help the veteran with stability issues and to carry things and potentially push a wheelchair and all of that. Uh, but but all the rules and regulations, the qualifications, the answers are all there online at cvhonorflight.org. And, and Mike, I want to thank you and your team there at Momentum Broadcasting, because really the only event that we've actually had as an organization during the pandemic was right there in Visalia. And, and you and your stations were kind enough to try to raise some dollars for us. We had some young people in Porterville from Granite Hills High School, the Heartwarmers Club. These are our young people who gave up their lunch hours for an entire school year to sew blankets for our veterans, thinking they're going to be going on the flight. Uh, the, the ringleader of that, Chloe Ross, did it for her great-grandfather, who was a Pearl Harbor survivor, an amazing guy named Chuck Keen, who was going to go on our next flight, but passed away before we could fly. And in his honor, she made blankets. One of them is in his casket with him. And the rest of them went to the veterans who are waiting for our next flight. And they're still waiting for that flight because of the pandemic. But they have had these blankets to hold on to as a reminder, hey, this experience is coming for you. And that's because something touched the heart of those young people in Porterville at Granite Hills High School. And because of Momentum Broadcasting hosting us there in Visalia, uh, they were able to bring those blankets and the veterans drove from all parts of the valley and picked up those blankets and got to meet some of these young ladies who sewed the blankets, and, and you could see the connections that were made. And I've got to tell you, Mike, since that happened, we've had a couple of those veterans who were there that day, who were waiting for that flight, who have passed away. So they didn't get to experience the honor flight, 
But because of that event and the fact that it happened and the fact that these young ladies in Porterville took the initiative to bless them with these blankets, they had an interaction and an experience and the opportunity to really see how grateful our people are for their sacrifice. And they had that experience before they finished their journey on earth. So I'm really thankful for what you guys did and what the people of Tulare County did that day who came by, who made their contributions, who who wanted to make sure they saluted our veterans, and especially for those heartwarmers at Granite Hills High School, because they touched truly a lot of hearts, some of which are no longer with us. It was our pleasure, and we will be doing more with you guys in the near future. I, If I have any say in the matter, it's going to happen. Paul, Thank you so much for the time this morning. Once again, the website, cvhonorflight.org. And I promise I will not wait so long to have you back on with us again. Anytime, Mike. Thanks for your support.